Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Forward, prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. More stimulating talk. Is it actually going to possibly maybe rain tomorrow? Is that just, that's not just a fantasy? No, it really is supposed to. 40%. That is awesome. All right. Well, you know what? That makes me feel so good that coming up at 1035 today, I am going to give away another $500 gift card to Living Spaces. 500 bucks just for listening to the show. How good is that? That's awesome. All right. Welcome home. You're home with Dean Sharp, the house whisperer, construction consultant, custom home designer, here to help you build yourself a beautiful home and a beautiful life and to do it more affordably and more artfully than you ever imagined. And here to talk with you, whatever's on your mind regarding your home, from design issues to DIY questions, to where did somebody put the mayonnaise, and everything. My number, 1-800-520-1KFI, 1-800-520-1KFI. The phone lines fill up fast, so call early and get yourself a good spot near the front of the queue, and then we can talk. And join us on social media, Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, at home with Dean is our handle on all of them. Tina, my wife, the Dean Whisper, is here, and uh, she's throwing stuff up on social media constantly where we're always posting more good stuff on everything that we talk about together every morning. And what are we talking about today? The lost art of lighting your home. Is lighting really as important as... I always make it out to be. I say this about light. It is the most fundamental but most poorly executed aspect of home design. Is that really true? Yes. Yes, it is really true. In fact, if you're a student of architecture, you probably already know this, but many of the great architects through time have essentially said that architecture is principally a business of light. Thomas Aaron once said, light is the first element of design. Without it, there is no color, there is no form, there is no texture. Photographer uh, Felice Frankel is famous for saying, light is the insubstantial foundation of the world. And it's true. I mean, think about this. 
without sight, our design needs would be completely and utterly different. If we were just kind of blind mole people, everything we would do in regards to your home, in regards to every building that we ever, uh, I guess, dig into if we're mole people, would be completely different than what we do with things now. And why is that? It's because we can see the forms that we put out in the world. I always tell you that architecture is two things. It is shelter and it is story. And that's very true. How do you tell the story? Well, in terms of design, we tell the story with form and spaces playing with light. Because without light, uh, it's, it's all moot. Uh, there's an old saying, all architecture can be great architecture after sunset. And that's because after sunset, we have complete control of what you see and what you don't see. Once the sun's down, then it's all up to us as to how to light a space or the front of a building. It also, I guess that's kind of like everybody looks good at closing time. I think there's a connection there somehow. Although I'm pretty sure the Everybody looks good at closing time also involves alcohol and desperation, which should not be the case with architecture or your home design. But still, the point stands. All architecture can and should be great architecture after sunset because light is the thing that we paint our paint with. Does that make sense? All right. We've got so much to talk about about light today. Let's start out with this, the basics, the, the basics for our age, especially for most of you who are listening to me right now. You youngins out there who, uh, you know, have never had to deal with the old incandescent story being ingrained into you. You don't have to worry about this, but the rest of us do. We are now in a post-wattage world when it comes to lighting. No more watts. There was this time from the very beginning of the invention of the light bulb until very recently in which we used to use wattage as a guide for how bright a light was. And so you would go to the store and you say, you know what, I think I'm going to get a 60-watt bulb for that thing. Or maybe I need a 100-watt bulb. Or maybe just a 40-watt bulb. And we would equate that with the brightness of the bulb. And rightly so, because in terms of incandescent light bulbs, the amount of wattage, which is has nothing to do with brightness, by the way. Wattage is a measurement of the energy that is consumed by the device. But the amount of wattage is, there's a direct corollary between that and the brightness of the, uh, the fixture itself. No more. Not in the area of fluorescent and certainly not in the area of LED. Wattage now is simply nothing more than a measurement of the energy and it's irrelevant when you are deciding how to light your house. So we now turn to really where we should have been from the beginning. And so I'm going to mention three things, lumens, degrees of Kelvin and CRI or color rendering index. None of these things, just FYI, none of these things are new. None of them are new. They've been around for a long, long time, ever since we have had a science that studies light. Now, you 
The only difference is you are now actively involved in these terms, and rightly so. The world has become uh, more technologically complex, and it's time for us all to step up and stop talking about watts. Now we're going to talk about the amount of lumens and Kelvin and CRI that we're dealing with in our lighting fixtures. Lumens is a measurement of the actual brightness of a lighting fixture, of a bulb. That's the thing, essentially, that we were using watts for before. All right. I think, uh, Tina, are you going to post? We're going to put up on social media uh, a chart that uh, shows you a, a real quick, easy, rough thumbnail guide of what the old wattage standard was and how that kind of equates in both halogen, uh, compact, fluorescent, and LED lights in terms of wattage and then the amount of lumens that they actually give off. So the time is done to start uh, to, to think of terms like, oh, a 60-watt bulb. We want to think of like, oh, I need about an 800-lumen bulb here, 800 lumens. An old 100-watt bulb, eh, about 15, 1600 lumens. And that varies a little bit too. And that's why the lumens are more precise because just because you had a 100 watt bulb, three different manufacturers, three different levels of brightness. They were all in the general neighborhood, but uh, they were different. Now we're going to nail that. Kelvin is about color temperature. It's what the, the, the spectrum scale of color, light temperature, all the way from the red through the blue and uh, how that affects things. And then CRI, well, I'm going to explain CRI to you. Uh, after we come back. There is so much more to come as we re rediscover the lost art of lighting your home. Also today at 1035, I am going to give away a $500 gift card to Living Spaces. The number to call me, 1-800-520-1KFI, 1-800-520-1KFI. You're listening to Home with Dean Sharp, the house whisperer. I am 640. Got a little tribal there on us right at the last second. I was headed to the club and then sharp right turn right into North Africa. All right. Welcome home. You're home with Dean Sharp, the house whisperer, here every week to help you transform your ordinary house into an extraordinary home. And here to talk with you, whatever's on your mind regarding your home today. Design issues, DIY questions, stuff, whatever. Washing the dog. No, no, we won't talk about that. Anything you want to talk about regarding your home, my number, 1-800-520-1KFI. 1-800-520-1KFI. Give me a call or shoot us a question on social media. Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, at home with Dean. Before we get to your calls, I am talking about the lost art of lighting your home. And I'm not talking about lighting your home for the holidays in the sense of uh, Christmas lights. That's fun. I'm just talking about lighting it in general, the right way, and how we have so neglected it, the most fundamental but most poorly executed aspect of home design. Light is everything when it comes to architecture. And I was right in the middle of explaining the very basics to you. Lumens 
is now the standard. We're letting go of watts. It's the standard by which we are going to gauge all of our bulb and fixture purpose, uh, purchases now in terms of lumens being the brightness rating of any light-emitting fixture. Let's move on to the second new term that everybody needs to learn, and that is Kelvin. Degrees of Kelvin. Degrees of Kelvin is not about heat. It's not about... Uh, well, it's not about heat. It's about color temperature. In other words, the appearance of heat in the tint of light. And light moves from the infrared all the way over to the ultraviolet. In other words, when it comes to our visible spectrum, it moves from deep red all the way to deep blue. And different lighting devices, based upon their structure, give off different color temperatures of light. Especially now, in this age of the LED, we have to be very sensitive to color temperature because the light bulbs that most of us grew up on, the incandescent light bulbs, naturally, all by themselves, without tweaking anything about them, gave off a nice, warm, romantic uh, uh, color temperature. In Kelvin terms, it's usually right around 3,000 to down to 2,000, two to 3,000 degrees Kelvin, right in that range. That is anything from uh, sunrise and sunset all the way up to your typical light bulb. And uh, it's just beautiful, warm light. You noticed this your whole life when you took photographs with your cheap Instamatic camera and uh, under natural light inside the house. And even though your eyes weren't picking it up, the film used to pick up the fact that everything was very gold and amber. And sometimes you use the flash to actually color correct because the flash on your camera is relatively balanced and cool. And so it would try and negate that as you take the shot. So, But now, in, uh, in the age of the LED, we have to be really sensitive to this because the first LEDs that came out, of course, were really cold, really cold. They were up above the 4,000 uh, Kelvin level. And, uh, and it made things just really kind of blue and gross. And even though technically that rating is daylight rating, we don't actually notice the fact that the light coming off of that golden sun up in the sky that surrounds us outside is actually uh, has a blue edge to it. We don't notice that. It just looks white and pure, but it does. But when we take daylight bulbs inside, then we see all of a sudden the blueness of them. So lumens and now degrees of Kelvin. And by the way, these new systems or old systems that are now uh, so important are being printed on all of the best bulbs by the major manufacturers. And so when you go to buy a bulb, you can find this information on the package now. Very, very important that you know that. Let's talk about a third thing, especially when it comes to LEDs. This is so critical that you understand CRI, the Color Rendering Index. It's a scale from 0 to 100. And the Color Rendering Index is an indication of the quality of a particular light fixture and its ability, based on the light spectrum that it emits, to render colors properly as it bounces off them and back into our eyeballs. The color rendering index. And uh, let me just tell you the basics. Anything above 90, that's a good bulb, because it's a scale of 1 to 100. 
But everything at the top is very critical. So anything below 80, mm, you're not going to be very happy with that. A, 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 an LED bulb, you can have two of them right next to each other. One's a little more expensive than the other. One has a CRI of 92. The other has a CRI of 72. You take those home, you put them in the exact same fixture, that if, even if they're the exact same amount of lumens, uh, brightness, and uh, the exact same wattage that they're pulling energy-wise, even if they're the exact same degrees Kelvin, they're warm bulbs or they're cool bulbs, whatever you're looking for, you put those two in. If they have a different color rendering index, then walls, colors, sinks, clothing, furniture, paint, hardwood floors, everything is going to look different between those two. So look also when you're buying LED for the CRI rating on the package. Lumens, Kelvin, CRI. None of these are new. You and I are just actively involved in the process now. Okay, we're going to take some of your calls, and then we're going to dive into common lighting mistakes. But first, I'm going to ask you this. When was lighting first artistically applied to an interior space? The answer and your calls up next. The number 1-800-520-1KFI, 1-800-520-1KFI. You're home with Dean Sharp, the house whisperer. More stimulating talk. You are home with Dean Sharp, the house whisperer. Construction consultant, custom home designer. Saving America from bad design decisions one home at a time. Starting with yours. Give me a call and let me help. The number 1-800-520-1KFI. 1-800-520-1KFI. I'm trying not to say 5201KFI because some of you get upset when I say it that way. 520 because it's a zero. I kind of thought everybody would have that figured out, but we're just going to go with zero the best I can. And I apologize when I slip the other way. Okay. You know, we also have a YouTube channel, Dean Sharp, the House Whisperer, where you can check out all of our bonus video content from our ridiculous show promos to helpful instructional videos. So go there, subscribe, and uh, every time we do a new one, it'll just slide on down the pipe right to you. Don't forget also the free iHeart app where you can find every single one of our shows all the time, every topic we've ever discussed, every mistake I've ever made on the air, and you can listen to them again and again and again at any time from anywhere on planet Earth, commercial-free, the free iHeart app. We've built an entire home improvement reference library for you. So imagine that. A home improvement show, adorably entertaining and informative. Hard to believe, and yet, here we are. Okay. Before the break, I asked this question. When was lighting first artistically applied to an interior space? Well, how about this? What did you think? Maybe 100 years ago? 200 years ago? You think the Romans did it 2,000 years ago? You think the Egyptians did it 
3,000 years ago? How about this? 30,000 years ago, in the Paleolithic caves of Lascaux and Chauvet in France. Yes, French cavemen. Of course it was the French. Of course it was. These caves that are now famous with famous uh, ancient cave paintings, primal, primitive cave paintings, they were not for living in. As far as we can tell, no one lived in these caves, and yet they're full of art deep down in the belly of the caves. So now the famous paintings inside, it seems that they were a kind of immersive art installation. And when they were first discovered, we also discovered these small oil lamps which burned rendered animal fat. And it is now believed by the best researchers that the art on the walls of these caves was scaled to the lumens of these lamps. And they were colored to match the color temperature of the light that they gave off. And the flickering of the flames, or what we call kinetic light, which I hope I'll have the chance to talk to you about more today, very likely created an almost animated effect to accompany whatever stories were being told to the tribe uh, when they were brought deep into this cave. How cool is that? Light artistically applied to an interior space 30,000 years ago. Hey, the more you know. Okay, let's go to the phones. I want to talk to Louie. Louie, welcome home. Good morning, Dean. Happy Thanksgiving. And you, my friend. What's up? Well, um, I'd like to mention lighting at the end of this, but air conditioning again. Okay. Um, two years ago, Freon levels were found low. At the time, it was 23 years old. They told me, leave it alone, just leave it be. It's, you, the more you fool with it, the, the quicker it'll blow up. So I left it alone. Finally, this week, I had another guy come in. Freon levels are still low. Uh, he gave me three different price ranges for repairs and how far it could go. Um, and uh, I just decided to leave it be, being it's 25 years old, because up up to $2,800 in repairs, and as low as 300 just adding the Freon. Checking uh, to find the leak and repairing minor leaks, it would be around 800 So I just decided to leave, leave it go, wait for it to blow, and replace it. Um, so my question would be is, when the air conditioner finally blows, let's say it's in the middle of the winter, Will the heater stop working also? Okay, that's a good question. Uh, it depends. Now, I'm assuming, do you ha ha tell me your system. Uh, is it all just one unit up on the roof? Do you have a condenser outside and a furnace inside the house? Outside, on the ground, uh, I guess you call it, I guess it's forced air, I think they call it. Right, right. Um, the vents are all over the house in each room and in a whole loft open area. We got three vents in that area. And where is your furnace? Uh, in the, inside the house in the hallway. Okay. So it's an upright furnace inside the house in the hallway and, uh, the fan on that furnace blows when the air conditioning is running. Yes. Yes. Okay. So you have what's called a split system. That means that the actual air conditioning condenser unit is outside, uh, as it is for so many people, and uh, the furnace uh, and air handling unit is inside the house, and tacked on to the top of that horizontal furnace is the inner coil, the indoor coil of the air conditioning system. So even though they are all attached and they're all stacked there together, your furnace 
and the fan for your furnace and the burners for your furnace are a completely separate system, even although they use the same ducts, it's a separate system than the air conditioner. So the air conditioner could completely go bad. You could turn it off. You could pull the fuses. You could shut it down if you wanted to. And uh, the furnace, if there's still power to the furnace, the furnace is still going to light up, and it's still going to keep you warm all winter long. Okay. Um, and uh, if, if the Freon was checked two years ago, now obviously it's the older type of Freon, um, and it's still running, other than at the end of the day when she starts to just kind of blow, blow and the, you know, I guess it freezes up somehow. Uh, but it's satisfactory, very good throughout the day. Um, is that telling you anything? Maybe, maybe it's just low on Freon because they didn't check it for where the leaks were. Yeah, well, uh, hey, it's one of those situations, Louie, where you know, if, if it ain't broke, don't fix it. Uh, it's a 25-year-old air conditioner, and it really is, that's old. That's very old for an air conditioner, very, very old. So it's awesome that it's still running at all. It's compared to modern air conditioning systems, its uh, SEER rating, which is its energy efficiency rating, is also very, very low compared to new units. So a new unit or replacement unit would be a lot more efficient. You'll get a lot more cooling for a lot less energy consumption. But at the end of the day, you know, it all has to do with whether you're happy or not with the air conditioner. At this point, yeah, it will run during the day if it's got some small leaks or more likely if it's got buildup in the coil, uh, it might start to freeze up near the end of the day and pump out less cold air. There's a hundred reasons why it performs worse at the end of the day than at the beginning of the day, but it's a 25-year-old air conditioner. So uh, it's really it's really your choice. Uh, but when the time comes, I wouldn't repair it. I would switch out the AC for an entirely new unit because you are way, 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 way behind the energy efficiency standards of the day, if that makes sense. All right, Louis, thank you so much for your call, buddy. Uh, here's an easy one. We all know about Edison and the light bulb, but who invented the LED? The answer and more of your calls up next. You're listening to Home with Dean Sharp, the house whisperer. KFI AM 640. Nice one, Miranda. That was a good one. That one got crazy. <laughs> Welcome home. You're home with Dean Sharp, the house whisperer. Guess what? If you have questions about your home, I will try to have answers. So call me at this number, at the following number, 1-800-520-1KFI. 1-800-520-1-KFI. Give me a call and let me help. Let me help you. Help me help you. Okay, before the break, I said, we all know about Edison and the light bulb, but who invented the LED? Well, in 1963, Harlan Manchester, what a name that is, president of the National Association of Science Writers, predicted, and I'm quoting him now, the lamp of the future 
may be a speck of metal the size of a pencil point, which will be practically indestructible, will never burn out, and will convert at least 10 times as much current into light as does today's bulbs. That lamp of the future, of course, is what we now call the light-emitting diode, or the LED. Manchester made his prophecy because he had just interviewed GE physicist Nick Holignac, who, in 1962, built the world's first LED. And it was red. It was just a little red dot. And from that, we are now all revolutionizing the way that we light our homes and saving tons of energy along the way. Okay, let's take some more calls, shall we? Maya, welcome home. Hello. Hi. Beans, thank you for taking my call and happy Thanksgiving. Thank you for calling. You're my number one motivator. Every time I hear you, I just tear through my house and I start doing everything I need to do. Thank you. You are awesome. And you have not been paid to say that. Not at all. Never. Okay. All right. Okay. <laughs> the reason I'm calling, just a bit of a reach out call. I'm kind of screaming for help because I'm dying here in my home. I didn't realize that I was in over my head and I'm a bit disabled and I'm trying to do a lot of stuff, but I can't get it all done. So I'm calling you to see if you know of any organization or any entity I can turn to to get some help. Okay, fill me in now. First of all, uh, Maya, you need to bring your energy level way up, okay? Ah. Because it's just too, it's just a little too mellow for radio. Okay, that's first thing. Secondly, okay, tell me... I'm kidding. Tell me, tell me, okay, so what do you mean? You're looking for help what? With, with what exactly? I need some painting. I need some help with my plumbing. Um, I have some areas that need drywall, and I need some slight landscaping. Okay. So you need all that done, and you're having a little trouble getting it done yourself, and so there's just a little t too many things getting away from me at the house. Exactly. Okay. This is one of those areas where, you know, you're not doing a major remodel or anything like that. And so, uh, you know, I wouldn't say necessarily unless you, and obviously you're calling me because you don't have a direct reference to like a general contractor. Right. And you probably don't need a general contractor because that can get a little large in scope for what you're talking about. But it sounds to me like you are a perfect candidate for this upswing in this one particular field that we've been experiencing more and more in the last few years, and that is you need a, just a really great reference for a good handyman or yeah. hand, handy person so as not to be uh, sexist on the air. A, a handy person. Uh, and where to find those? You know, the I think the, the, the best way of doing it is still by referrals. And so if there are friends who nearby live nearby or family members – Start asking around. Uh, if not, you uh, can ask your neighbors, hey, is there anybody that you've used who can take care of this? And the nice thing about uh, most handy people is that they they kind of, you know, they covered the whole gambit. They don't go too deep in any of it, but, you know, they can get your landscaping done. They do a little drywall. They can do a little carpentry work, a little hit this, a little that, a little fix-it work here and there and kind of get you all taken care of for a uh, reasonable price. 
and they can charge lower prices because handy people, they, they have a limit on what they can charge on a per project basis, but they don't have to be licensed. They don't have to carry all the liability insurance and all of that stuff. So if you find that person uh, through a referral and also what are the, what are the Tina, what are the, 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 like the neighborhood social media sites now? I'm trying to think of one that it's just, my mind is completely blanking. Um, but the, what, like next door, right? Next door. There are these social media sites now that are all about your neighborhood and they're, they're geographically, they, they place you and they, they give the feed to you based on the people just in your neighborhood. And it, there's a whole referral network of stuff going on, on sites like next door. So head that way too. And, uh, Maya, good luck with everything that you've got to do. And thank you so much for listening and for your energy. All right. Thanks so much. Anne, welcome home. Thank you. How are you doing? What can I do for you? Well, okay, so you, um, I'm referring to your three indexes for lighting, the brightness, the warmth, the coolness. And the third one, I wasn't sure, uh, the initials, CRI, whatever. Um, does that mean the color saturation versus the faded color thing? Okay, so the the third uh, thing that I listed was thank you for listening. By the way, uh, the color rendering index, and it's it, it a saturation is a factor there. The color saturate color saturation is about the intensity of color. By the way, mm -hmm. um, so it's not exactly everything I'm talking about. But color rendering is essentially this. Uh, how can I explain this in 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 real short terms that that. Uh, that everybody will also be entertained by. You, you know, color does not exist. Color is a, a factor of light bouncing off of an object. And depending on the characteristics of that object, it absorbs a great deal of the light spectrum and it rejects or reflects some of the light spectrum. And so whatever an object is reflecting back of the, the full light spectrum, the full rainbow, whatever portion of the rainbow that object is reflecting back and not absorbing, that is what we call, oh, that thing is that color. So if an object reflects green of a certain color or of a certain position in the spectrum, then we say, oh, you know, the, the green pen. The pen is not intrinsically green. It is simply a, a, a reaction of the light that's coming at it being reflected back. So the key is this. If the light that's coming at it has some anomalies in its color spectrum, then what that material reflects back to you will be different, uh, will reflect those anomalies. So there are some light bulbs that have a, do a great job. They have a very complete color spectrum of light that they project out. Therefore, they render color back to our eyes very, very accurately. Then you've got another bulb which does a, a worse job of uh, filling in its entire color spectrum appropriately. Those are cheaper LED bulbs. And so because it's throwing cheaper light, just to put it in that term, Throwing cheaper light at an object, you get cheaper light reflected back, and you get worse color. And so colors, you know, your bright sweater in the closet, for instance, if you've got cheap uh, LED lights in there, 
it may look a little muddy. It may look a little uh, too warm. It may look a little too cool. It may look a little too purple. It may, you know, it, it literally will look different in the closet than when you take it out into the daylight. So what we're looking for in our house is this, this accurate sense of color rendering. And so that's the third thing, the color rendering index. And uh, again, it's showing up more and more on all of the packages. Look for it and uh, buy bulbs that are above 90 uh, whenever you can on the color rendering index. And you'll find a lot of cheap LEDs are cheap exactly for that reason, because the LEDs, for whatever reason, don't throw off a good spectrum of light. Therefore, the objects around us don't reflect that back to us accurately. And there you have it. Okay. Thank you so much for your call, Ann. Up next, the seven most common lighting mistakes that you are making in your home right now. So stop it. Don't do and do not turn on a light until we come back. Okay? All right. You're listening to Home with Dean Sharp, the House Whisperer on KFI AM 640. More stimulating talk. KFI AM 640, more stimulating talk. You are home with Dean Sharp, the house whisperer. That is a really, uh, that's a nice one. I like the whistling. It just, <sighs> okay. Edward Sharp and the Magnetic Zeros, by the way. That is the source of our theme music that everybody loves so much. So go check them out. They're awesome. You are home with Dean Sharp, the house whisperer, construction consultant and custom home designer here to tell you that your house does not need a bigger budget. It needs a better story. Architecture is two things. Architecture is shelter and it is story. Shelter is what makes it practical to live in. You keep dry, you stay warm, but the story is what makes it beautiful. Any home can change its story. It's like any person can change their story and become a custom home or, I guess, a custom person. And Custom Home Central is right here, 1-800-520-1KFI, 1-800-520-1KFI. And follow our shenanigans on social media, Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, at Home with Dean. Yes, I said shenanigans. Okay. Before the break, I said we were going to dive into the seven most common, in my opinion, lighting mistakes that you are making in your home right now. So let's talk about them. Number one, wrong-sized hanging fixture. Now, Bill Handel did not believe me when I told him this earlier this week, but you're going to believe me because um, you're not Bill Handel. Hanging fixtures in a room can be be very quickly disproportionately odd. And so here's a general rule. It's not an absolute rule, but it's a general rule to get you started. You got a room, you're going to want to put some kind of hanging fixture. How big should it be? Take the room width in feet, the widest dimension of the room in feet. Add to it the height of the room in feet. So for instance, let's say we've got a oh, I don't know, 12-foot wide room, and we have an 8-foot ceiling. 
12 and 8, add them together, you get what? Wait, one, two, oh, 20. So 20, that number right there is the generally correct proportion or the size of a hanging fixture in inches. So the room width in feet plus the height of the room, the ceiling height of the room, add those together in feet and then convert that to inches, right? So 12, 8 equals 20, 20 inches it's about the right size. You can go a little over, you can go a little under, but it's the good proportion. A chandelier hanging over a table, like a dining chandelier, should generally be a foot, one foot, a whole foot smaller than the short width of the table. So if your dining room table is three feet wide, your chandelier should be uh, roughly two feet wide, okay? No wider than that. And what that does is when you center two feet on three feet, you end up with a nice six-inch uh, space to both sides. So it just seats nicely over a table, okay? Rule number two, hanging fixtures too low. Oh, I see this all the time. You just need to know this. There's a, uh, a misconception out there about uh, using, let's say you've got a big vaulted ceiling or you've got a high ceiling and you say, hey, I'm going to put this hanging fixture. And the, the longer the chain that I use, that's what's going to have people give that sense of how high my ceilings are. Incorrect. It has nothing to do with the length of the chain. The sense of height in that room is not how long the chain is, but how high out of reach the light fixture itself is. Even if the chain is only two links long, better to hang that light up out of reach than to have it uh, swinging low. The bottom, and here's the rule, the bottom of any light fixture becomes the new psychological ceiling for it, whatever space that you hang that fixture in. So keep them high. Number three, not using enough dimmers in your house. All right, lighting is theater. Lighting and mood are always changing in your house, except after sunset. But during the day, especially, the sun is always changing position. It's always on the move. Shadows are changing. The light quality is shifting. Brightness is changing. Saturation is changing. Everything is changing. You should have the flexibility of being able to control your lights, the lumens, the brightness, and change them as well. Not enough people use enough dimmers. And if you're wiring new stuff for your house, then Create zones with those dimmers. For instance, in a you know large living or family room, you create a group of lights that are just illuminating the seating area. And then another zone or circuit of lights that you have separate dimmer control of for the perimeter area. Create zones, use dimmers. Number four, not enough shadow. All aspects of Western theology aside, the whole light versus darkness thing, that's great. It's awesome. My apologies. I don't mean to offend anybody, but here is the truth artistically. Light artistically is useless without shadow. If there are no shadows, then there is no texture. If there are no shadows, there is no depth. If there are no shadows, there is no drama. And yes, the opposite is true as well. Light can be too harsh, too direct, too glaring, too 
spotted and, and narrowly focused and create really harsh shadows. So yes, the opposite is always true. But I, more often than not, people get really kind of gung-ho about creating general lighting in a room, and uh, they succeed at just eliminating all shadow from every corner everywhere, and you walk into this room that's just sort of lit, and there's no drama. Not enough shadow. Number five, glare. Don't set recessed lights against overly dark ceilings or walls. When people look at them, your eyeball doesn't know what to do. Glare is the enemy of good lighting. So you can imagine you got a recessed light, a dark, a super dark wall or a super dark ceiling. Your eyeball is trying to open up the iris so that you can take in light because the background is so dark. But then you've got this little bright pinpoint right in the middle, and it's uh, it's really irritating uh, to the eye. It's not pleasant. Uh, eyes will avoid it at all costs. So. Don't set recessed lights uh, too intensely against too dark of a ceiling or a wall. The key to really good lamps are the fact that they can be stared at directly. I've said this before. I will say it again. There are reasons why uh, a lamp is so expensive, and it's because it passes the stare test, or I should say, more accurately, the glare test. Um, for instance, the uh, Louis Poulsen PH5 lamps that are out there, you see them imitated all the time. You look at this lamp, and you're like, it's just a lamp over my dining room table or my breakfast nook, and it's $950. But there is a reason why that light is as brilliant as it is, and it's because it emanates this beautiful, warm, ambient light all around it. But you can look right at it, and the light itself, the source, the bulb is hidden and the light has been baffled in such a way so that you can stare right at the lamp and, uh, and not have glare or irritation coming back in your eye. All right. Uh, recessed can craziness. we got to talk a little bit more about that. And not enough lighting sources. I've got two more, and I'm going to meld those into our talk about uh, where you go with your lighting from here. More lighting secrets to be revealed. You're listening to Home with Dean Sharp, the house whisperer. KFIM 640, welcome home. You're home with Dean Sharp, the house whisperer. If you've got questions about your home, I have answers. 1-800-520-1KFI. 1-800-520-1KFI. Give me a call. Let me help. We have two more items on the list of seven common lighting mistakes that you've been doing in your home. And uh, these two, really, these are really important. Number six, recessed can craziness. Recessed can, you know, the market in general tells you that you need them. You need them everywhere in order to update your house. It is like the remodeler's bane uh, that everybody, like, I need more recessed cans because uh, I want to bring my house up to speed. No, you don't. Recessed cans are good for the things that they're good for, and they're not good for the things that they're not good for. We should not overuse them. They are overuse. They're a novelty still 
for most people. And I want you to let go of that. It's a toolbox, folks. There's no one uh, size fits all answer out there. Uh, it's a toolbox. And so we want to use them where they are most effective. Most of us, and this leads me right into number seven, most of us do not think in terms of having enough lighting sources. You don't want to light a room with just one thing, a bank of recessed cans, not unless you're, you know, in the gymnasium somewhere, but your home is not the gym. So not enough lighting sources, soft ambient light without a visible source is the most important light that you can pump into any room in your house. And we need lots of different sources to create various aspects of various moods. And so more sources mean more options, and more options mean we have more control. Does that make sense? I hope so. Let me run down for you so that uh, we've got this on the record. There are essentially six kinds of lighting that we deal with when it comes to your home. Natural light, of course, that's windows and skylights. Um, it's utilizing more light from outside and getting it into your house. And there are a number of ways that you can do that. Uh, lightening your color palette, increasing what we call the light reflectance value of, of a room. It just basically means the lighter the materials in a room, lighter materials reflect light better than darker materials. And so the lighter a room is in general, especially when it's a low window light condition or skylight condition, uh, the better you reflect that light around. That light moves around, it gets around more, and, uh, and so it amplifies the brightness of the room. You can use mirrors, you can use Venetian blinds to bounce light off the ceiling. Um, and you usually, if you've got a lot of windows uh, coming in, a lot of natural light streaming in, then you have to go the opposite direction. You need to think about not having it too harsh or too hot or too glary, and that means diffusing it. So sunlight is very bright, and it can be very glary. So convert that ambient, that I should say that direct sunlight that's streaming in, into ambient light by diffusing it into a glow. That would be like sheer drapes, uh, making sure your windows have like a low E coating, uh, which all by itself justifies uh, new windows. The second kind of lighting is ambient. There is nothing more important than ambient light. It is the everywhere light. And optimally, we do everything we can to make it seem like it's everywhere, but that it's coming from nowhere. Ambient light is the most beautiful light when the color temperature is right. And again, we use dimmers, we separate circuits, we, uh, and now we live in the age of LED strips and LED tape. Uh, so there are more nooks and crannies and corners and seams that we can put more and more ambient light, whether it's on the, uh, the upper cabinets in our kitchen, whether it's on the cabinet kicks in our kitchen that spills out onto the floor, Ambient light, there. that should be your first and foremost goal. Not the third kind of lighting, which is directional lighting. And Everybody leans towards directional lighting. That's the thing that the, the whole downlight thing has uh, led people to think. They're like, I need directional lighting in my house. It's actually the least important of all light. Directional lighting highlights general objects. 
And that's great if you've got a piece of artwork or something, you've got a little nook or a little cove in your house and you want to just kind of brighten it up, that's great. Highlight the object. Uh, use baffles or masks in your lighting. Uh, if you've got a piece of artwork, let's say it's a sculpture, let's say it's a, a, a vase or something like that, consider lighting transparent and semi-transparent objects from underneath to make them glow. That's the way that museums do it. So uh, if it's important enough to you, why don't you consider that doing, doing that too? Yeah, literally setting like your cherished vase or glass sculpture on top of an uplight so that it just glows at the end of the room. But directional lighting, the least important. Ambient, way more important. And then second to ambient is task lighting. Task lighting is not for people. It's not for the building itself. It lights the task, the sink, the dishwasher, the uh, makeup mirror, the anything that you are going, the bathtub, the task at hand, down light, up light, however it is you want to light it, you light that up. And as a general rule, you use dimmers and that allows you to put in more light than you think you'll need. And this is where the LED strip lights, the new craze, under cabinet, cabinet kicks, lighting soffits, cove lighting, all of this. Task lighting. Light up the destinations where stuff is getting done. And then uh, the last two, decorative lighting. It's pretty simple to understand. That's your sparkly, blingy kind of, uh, that's an actual lighting fixture that you're staring at. Chandeliers, Christmas trees count as decorative lighting. It's the light that you stare at. Otherwise, hear me, if it's not a decorative light, the goal of lighting the house is to see the effects of the light, not to see the light fixture itself. The goal of decorative lighting is to draw your attention to the light fixture or the source of the light. Does that make sense? And finally, and this is the trickiest of all to accomplish, but kinetic lighting, and that is light that moves and flickers. That's candles, fires, uh the shadows of leaves blowing in the wind from outside, clouds across the sky uh, when we're outdoors. And also, you know what counts as kinetic lighting, even though it's not decorative? The TV. Your TV has essentially replaced the fire hearth of mankind. It is a glowing box of moving images that flickers. And yes, we've been programmed by two million years of evolution to sit at night and stare at those things and listen to stories. And the fact that the TV also tells you stories makes it that much more magnetic to uh, the human brain. Okay, does that make sense? Of course it does. You're like, whoa, I never thought of that. When we come back, I'm going to take Shauna's call. And uh, we're going to do more and more of the secrets of lighting. You're listening to Home with Dean Sharp, the house whisperer. Uh, you know what I said, I, I got to say this. I said we were going to give away that living spaces gift card and I just, uh, I screwed up. I, I realized I was, I'm sitting here. I realized what I did. Uh, when we first talked about it, it was going to be two weeks of $250 a piece. And then what they did is they made it $500 last week. And so, uh, it was my bad. I don't have a gift card to give away to you. So. Um, please keep listening to the show. But in you, I found a right. There is a light you can't always see. And there is a world we can't always be. If there is a dark, 
KFIM 640. More stimulating talk. I'm sorry. I was just listening to Bono. I just got lost in his short little Irish eyes. Okay, pull it together. You are home with Dean Sharp, the house whisperer, construction consultant, custom home designer here every week to help you transform your ordinary house into an extraordinary home. And how are we doing it this week? We are doing it by talking about lighting. I'm going to give you a quick, very, very useful trick for figuring out one of the biggest questions on placing recessed cans. Now, I just went on this whole deal about not using too many recessed cans, and I don't want you to misunderstand me. We put in recessed cans all the time. Uh, I design them into projects. Uh, every project uh, gets recessed cans. All I'm saying is recessed cans are not the end all of how we light houses, and uh, when it becomes this uh, crazy kind of obsession uh, where the market is telling you, you got to do this to update your house, uh, then it all goes wrong, okay? But here's how we uh, keep it under control. I'm not going to tell you what rooms these go in uh, per, per se, but how far apart do you place recessed can lights in your ceiling when you are going to light a room uh, as one of the sources of light in a room? Well, quick down and dirty uh, guide. Take the height of the ceiling in the room, divide it by two, and that's approximately the distance apart that a, the recessed can lights should be in that room. Does that make sense? Here we go. Eight foot ceiling divided by two. All the recessed cans in the room as a starting guide should be about four feet apart. If you start cramming them in closer, that gets kind of intense. If they're further than four feet apart, then it's kind of thin, all right? 10-foot ceiling, you can space those cans about 5 feet apart. 12-foot ceiling, you do the math. 6 feet. All right, and uh, and when it comes to walls, you put can lights roughly, regardless of the height of the ceiling, okay, unless we're going really tall. Uh, as a general rule, normal height ceilings, we want to keep can lights about 3 feet away from the wall. And then we use them to wash the wall. I, When it comes to recessed cans, I'm all about wall washing, which means either a gimbal light that angles or a little uh, eyeball that can, that can angle to the side. I would much rather have a light wash and brighten up a wall than shine straight down on a floor. Visually, it brightens the room. It intensifies the mood of the room. It just works better all around. Okay, how's that for handy stuff? Let's talk to uh, Shauna. Shauna, welcome, welcome home. Hi. Yeah, I have an add-on uh, family room. It's about a 15 by 15 room. Okay. And I have 12 recess lighting in there. They're the three inch, I think. They're the smaller ones. Little guys. And I have 60 watt in all of them, and it's, it's just not bright enough. It just looks like a dull, cavey, you know, I don't, I don't know what kind of bulb to, to use. Okay, what else is going on in this room? What, we, we, it's a family room? What we, We've got... Yeah, it's an extension of my living room. Extension of... I have a bar, yeah, I have a bar in there. Okay. And two couches. Okay. And T an eight-foot ceiling. Is it like a media room, TV watching room, just a yeah. sitting room? TV watching room. Okay. Like a party room. And so 15 by 15, and we've got 12 three-inch can lights in there with 60-watt LED halogen? Uh, some of them are halogen, and some of them are just the regular 
bulbs. Okay. So first of all, one of the things that you wanted you could consider is is you could consider going LED and you could bump up the lumens, the luminosity of each of those bulbs. But my first reaction sight unseen is to give you the advice that I've been given throughout the show here and that is uh let's not worry so much about those 12 down lights handling the entire lighting load in there. Let's complement them by getting some floor lamps and some table lamps and some up lights. Here's the thing that I've, the issue that I've got with uh, down lights in general, the down light craze. And that is that everybody is pushing down lights because I don't know, I guess it's just the old uh, thought that, you know, you put the light in the ceiling and it shines down, but the ceiling itself especially if it's a bright light ceiling, is such a great reflector and diffuser of natural ambient light that one of the it's kind of counterintuitive for a lot of people, but I want you to think in terms of the more light that you can throw up against the ceiling. It's like, you know, when you go to a photo shoot and you see those big umbrellas that are sticking off to the side that the lights aren't shining directly at the subjects of the photo shoot, but they're actually shining away from the subjects into these diffusing umbrellas or diffuser boxes. That's exactly what we're doing in those circumstances is we are bouncing light off of it and diffusing it more uniform, uh, uniformly throughout the room. So I think without seeing your room, Shauna, that uh, I'm going to make an arrogant call here and say that you don't need any more recess can lights. You need more lamps, more up lights, more floor lamps. Uh, and you need to the, have the option of creating uh, more varied moods by having some of them up, some of them down, put a dimmer on those down lights and just take more control of the space instead of just kind of main gymnasium lighting. And I, I say that, and I don't mean to, to be insulting when I say that. It's just, you know, Architecture is theater, design is theater, lighting is theater. And I say this again and again, imagine going to a stage play and uh, that you've paid big money for, and they just keep the house lights on all the time throughout the whole show. They don't, they never dim the house lights. Uh, so the stage lights are on, the house lights are on. And uh, what is the impact of that drama? Um, very low. People would be very, very upset. And so we overgeneralize the downlight in a lot of rooms when we kind of go recess like crazy, if that makes sense. Shauna, thank you so much for your call. Uh, I want to talk to, can I fit this one in? Yeah, I can. Mike, welcome home. Hi. Hey, Hi, buddy. Mike. Hey, I got a problem that doesn't have to do with lighting, but I had a 75-gallon water heater spring a leak the other day. It's in a utility room connected to the other side of the wall of my bedroom, and it flooded the carpet, the drywall, the baseboards, the wood furniture, and um, all the insulation under my house. There's water under the house. Oh, so you I have a crawl space secured. house. Oh, yeah, yeah. It's all raised foundation. And um, my question is, I kind of, I don't know whether to go through my homeowner's insurance, which I haven't had a claim in over 10 years. Um, or whether to just kind of do it myself. Uh, well, I will be the first guy to tell you that I am not a homeowner's insurance expert. Uh, <laughs> I don't know what, you know, and I always get confused about this. So you guys can teach me this. Somebody out there listening right now knows the answer to this. I always get them screwed up. Tina, do you remember 
is it the is it the actual damage that most insurance policies pay for? Is it the plumbing damage, or it's the damage that it causes? Right. So most homeowners insurance policies don't cover the flood itself, like the water heater replacement, but they would cover the floor or the furniture and that kind of stuff. So I guess, Mike, it's really just about, you know, your deductible and uh, what's the replacement cost and all that stuff. I know this. It's not like making it's not like auto insurance where you make a claim on your insurance and they're going to turn around next year and raise your rates because, oh, that guy's always busting his water heater. We're going to charge him more. <laughs> That's not the way it right. works with homeowners insurance. So, I, you know, I would just uh, sit down uh, with the calculator, add up the numbers and, and see how it works. Okay. And, you know, if you don't mind, I have another question that is lighting related. Really super quick. Yeah. I got all those uh, high efficiency lights that are recessed cans in my kitchen, but they have those plug-in fluorescent bulbs that are always going out and starting to flicker. Can I replace all those with LED fixtures and still remain in the code for low efficiency or high efficiency lighting? Chances are very likely yes. Now, during the transition period, there were all sorts of weird municipality changes in the code where there was a time when we could put in what we call regular traditional uh, light housings for those recessed cans, and they would have like regular screw-in attachments. And then we could actually, some cities allowed us to screw in uh, adapters for uh, compact fluorescent bulbs, and then we could unscrew those and we could screw in adapters for LED bulbs. Other municipalities at the time required us, no, you have to put in a housing that only takes the LED or only takes the fluorescent. So it, you just got to check out your actual cans themselves. Take a look at it. See if you can unscrew the thing. Uh, if you can, there are LED adapters out there uh, that you can just put in new LED light housing or light sources inside the uh, the housing that's built in. But you may have one of those setups where the actual recessed housing itself is uh, proprietary and dedicated, and then that gets more complicated. So you're just going to have to check that out. But I would say chances are very likely that uh, you can probably change out the weird fluorescence for uh, some really nice, warm, bright LEDs. Thanks, buddy, for your call. I really appreciate it. Okay, coming up next, I'm going to make a design prediction about the next trend in recessed can lighting. You are not... More stimulating talk. Hey, coming up right after the show, you just heard it's Leo Laporte, the tech guy, back at his normal time and place right here. Tomorrow, Monday. Tomorrow is Monday, right? I'm all messed up. Tomorrow is Monday. Yes. <laughs> it always follows Sunday. I'm on with Gary and Shannon from 1130 to noon. And Wednesday, it's... Handle in the House Whisper from 9.30 to 10, where Bill Handel and I always find new and creative ways of wasting a half an hour of KFI's valuable airtime. Friday, December 8th. I mentioned this last week. I'm going to mention it next week as well. It is KFI's annual Pastathon. 
to benefit the amazing work of Katarina's Club. In 2005, Bruno, Chef Bruno, and his mother, Mama Katarina, they visited the Boys and Girls Club of Anaheim down the street from his restaurant, which is the Anaheim White House. Katarina noticed a six-year-old boy eating potato chips for dinner because his family could not afford a proper meal, and she insisted that Bruno make some pasta for this little tyke. They soon realized that there were many more of those hungry, what we call motel children, living in Orange County, so Bruno began making pasta that year for about 70 children, five nights a week. That was in 05. Today... That little project has turned into feeding 3,300 Southern California kids every week. And frustrated that that was not even enough, Bruno started a second program called Welcome Home, of all things, where Katarina's Club provides some of those same motel families with the resources to have a real place to live out of the motel. Last February, a fire destroyed the Anaheim White House, but they were back feeding kids the very next day. So we are thrilled to have ongoing annual support for Katarina's Club. KFI's goal this year is to raise $350,000 and collect 90,000 pounds of pasta and sauce. And we're going to be broadcasting all day, Friday, December 8th, from the campus of Christ Cathedral in Garden Grove. All of the KFI hosts will be here. I will be there. Bruno's nephew, Silvano, and I are going to actually tour the rebuilt White House, which is already taking reservations right now for uh, the estimated reopening in February. So I will be there. Tina, the Dean Whisperer, will be there. You should be there. So grab a trunk full of pasta and sauce and come down and hang out with us, and we're going to have a lot of fun. Okay? There you go. You are home with Dean Sharp the house whisper some final thoughts before the break i said i was going to make a prediction about the future trend of recessed can lighting and here it goes mark my words now you're not going to see this take over uh, home depot next year maybe maybe the year after maybe we'll see but here is my prediction the new trend in recessed can lights if you noticed trims have become smaller and smaller we want to use smaller and smaller recessed cans wherever we can. My prediction is simply this. There is a new kind of recessed can product out there. It's a little pricey right now, but as soon as everybody starts buying it, it's going to drop in price. Trimless recessed can lights. And what that means is that these can lights are built in such a way so that the lip of the trim around the can doesn't sit on top of the drywall, but that you actually open up the drywall a little bit, you will set these cans in and they are uh, configured in such a way that the drywall runs right up to the edge of the opening. And when it's all taped and finished and mudded and uh, painted off, you look up at the ceiling and all you see, all you see is the hole, just the hole, the little cone, uh, the baffle, where the light is sitting up inside of. You don't see that little trim lip running around. Uh, that's where we're going. I promise you, mark my words, that's where it's happening. And Tina, I think, as a I got a sample image. Tina just posted this up onto social media. If you want to take a look at, one, at what one of these guys looks like, you'll see it's kind of got a perforated backing to it. 
that mounts straight against the ceiling so drywall can come right up to the edge of the can. Making recess cans better for everyone. Okay. You know, I was thinking this week about how hard the holidays can be for so many people, but also about how much good gets done by so many people around the holidays, like Chef Bruno. And you know what I think America needs right now more than anything? I think we need to raise the bar. We need someone to come along and raise the bar on what it means to be human. And then I heard this on Thanksgiving Day in a commercial of all places, but I really loved it. It would be great if human beings were great at being human. And if all of mankind was made up of kind women and kind men, it would be spectacular if the golden rule was golden to everyone. And if everything that we ever did was everything that we can do. We need to raise the bar. I wish I had enough uh, gravity on social media right now to actually start this and make it a viral thing. But we should try. We should try. We should post this on uh, the KFI Twitter as well. Let's see if we can get it going. Hashtag raise the bar. I have settled on two great rules for my life. They are so important to me that I've tattooed them on my forearms, literally. And they are this, to love with all of my heart and soul this great mystery that we call life. And the second one is to love people the way I wish to be loved myself. Those images are on my forearms exactly because I want to be reminded of them every time I reach out and put my hand to something. They remind me that change rarely comes from the top down, but that it's up to me to raise the bar, first for myself and then hopefully for those around me. And so hashtag raise the bar. I would like to make that the theme of 2018 for all of us. So here's me challenging you this holiday season as we all head toward a reset of the new year. Find a way to dive into this amazing life that you've been given and go out of your way to help someone else dive in too. Raise your bar and then go out there and help somebody build themselves a beautiful life. I'll see you next week. Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. <gasps> no, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.